Awesome. It's so good to be with you guys again. Thank you for having me back. I did not get disinvited, so that's always a good sign. So uh, no ruffled feathers last week, which is a good, good thing, because the will of God, I believe, is one of the ideas and concepts in the faith that has been completely hijacked. And it comes from a noble place where people really want to esteem God's sovereignty. And that's really what the conversation is about, what is, what is God's active role in determining the details of our life? And so God's sovereignty, his view, can be elevated to such a degree that it eliminates our personal responsibility. And so the pursuit of God's will is really an understanding of where does God end and we begin? And how do we understand that we're powerful people, but also how do we understand that God is sovereign and that he is all-powerful and almighty, but yet he's empowered us. And so that's the whole subject matter of which drew me to seek out the scriptures because I found out that everything that I believed about the will of God was actually not biblical. How many of you, raise your hands if you are here last week, discovered that you changed your mind about a previous maybe idea you had about everything happens for a reason or I, something changed in you? Oh, wow. Oh, goodness. Okay. And no angry letters. That's good, too. Uh, so last week, we talked about all of the different misconceptions, the lies, the, the common beliefs that we get that get replicated among our faith, such as everything happens for a reason, or God is in control, and, and things that seem like they're Bible verses but really aren't. And so we spent all of last time just looking at that. And the reason we did that is because before you can accurately study and look at the will of God, you actually need to kind of clear your mind of all the things you used to believe. And so last time was really fun. Next week is going to be really fun as well because we're going to talk about trials, suffering. How do we understand that? How do we understand that there's evil in the world, but yet we have a good God? That's going to be a really, really fun time. So tonight is, I hope is going to be fun. Uh, but what we got to do tonight is we have to understand what is the will of God. And so what I'd like to do, I'm going to be bold and I'm going for kind of a, a challenging night with you tonight, and my goal is to actually give you every passage on the will of God tonight, because I want you to leave here to, to know that you've actually looked at, experienced, and interpreted what the Bible says about God's will, because you can't have an articulate position on something you know nothing about. So I'm going to weave it through. It's going to be a lot of scripture. I'm sorry for the amount of scripture you're about to get tonight, but I want you to be informed. I want you to leave here feeling like I actually know everything the Bible has to say about this topic so that then you can have an informed opinion because I don't know if you're going to come back next week. I hope you do. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And uh, let me say this too. Is that how many know that all of the Bible is about God? Amen? But not of all of God is in the Bible. And so the reason we're going to look at the will of God in the Bible tonight is we're going to look at what does the Bible say? We're just going to look at that as the authority. But we're also going to add a footnote of saying we are interpreting scriptures. And we are going to know what we can know, but we reserve the right for God to violate our ideas and, and conceptions. So I want you to know that we're going to look strictly at what the Bible says, but we don't want to limit God to that either. So know that that's my heart. My heart is not to put God in a box, but what I want to do is faithfully show you the scriptures to show you what the Bible actually says about the will of God. Now for me, how about we pray actually? That would be, right, be a good idea. <laughs> so God, we just thank you for this night. We thank you for your truth. And thank you, Lord. We don't have to be afraid of what the Bible says. 
And God, I just break all the, the fears and the lies that might be in this room about what you're doing in the midst of people's lives of maybe bringing certain unfortunate circumstances. And, and we come to you, Lord, with such confusion about this topic. And we ask that you'd provide clarity tonight, that you'd open our minds, that we'd be able to see clearly what your word has to say, and we'd be unapologetic for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know about you, but I lived the majority of my life thinking it was impossible to know God's will. Does anybody resonate with that? That you're like, God's will is impossible to know. You know, and we, we, we come to God in prayers like asking, God, would you reveal your, your will? And the notion that everything happens for a reason, and the reason we can't know God's will is usually because we don't know God's will until it happens. If it happened, it was God's will. If it didn't happen, it wasn't God's will. But beyond that, we have no idea. That is the paradigm in which I came to God's will, which caused a paralysis of my life. What is God's will? Is it God's will I do this or that or go here or there or study this or become this and that? I wrestled whether or not I would go into business or go into ministry based on God never revealed what his will for my life was. I didn't know. And so for me, I just like had this cloud about me that it's impossible to know God's will. Here's the thing. That is a completely unbiblical idea. Let me show you some scriptures. First, uh, in Ephesians 5.17, it says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Colossians 1.9, We have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Romans 12.2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is. Acts 20, verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. There's something that is missing here that, that gives the idea that God's will is a mystery. <laughs> right? We are instructed, don't be foolish, Know what the will of God is. That seems pretty clear. You are to know the will of God so you can test and approve it. It sounds like we're supposed to be experts in the will of God. But yet so many of us, we wonder, well, God, what is your will? And notice he said, I did not hesitate to preach you the whole will of God, meaning that there's actually, you can have a partial awareness of it. So we have to understand that the will of God as a topic can have many facets to it. So whatever idea you might have about the will of God being impossible to know, just let those exit your mind right now. Because Paul, as we'll see, was really, he was relentless about people knowing God's will. And do you know who else was relentless? Is Jesus. He said four times, I've come to do the will of my Father. Four times he makes the explicit statement, the reason I'm here is to do the Father's will. Let me show it to you. John 4 says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. John 5, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And Matthew 26, not as I will, but you will. So Jesus is on a mission to do the will of God, but yet his mission to do the will of God sometimes seems like a mystery to us. So what is Jesus talking about here? Now, someone who is actually familiar with the prophecies concerning the coming Messiah, when Jesus says, I come to do my Father's will, if you're an expert in the prophecies of the Messiah, you might have remembered something, which is in Isaiah 53. 
It says that, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and make the Lord, make his life an offering for sin. And so if you are aware of the prophecies, knowing that the Messiah, the Lord's will is to crush him, make him an offering for life, for us, and then Jesus comes and says, I'm here to do my Father's will, those two should make a connection. What's the truth in here? What is Jesus talking about? It's that the will of God, first and foremost, was the cross. What is the will of God? What is Jesus talking about? The will of God is the cross. Jesus knew his life was on a mission to make a way for mankind and restore God's kingdom on earth. And so the New Testament writers pick up this same language, using the will of God as a reference for the plan that God had to redeem the world. Here are two examples. Hebrews 10, 8, it says, Then he said, Here I am, I've come to do your will, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus for once for all. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 1, 4, He, being Jesus, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so we see early on this language of the cross, people understanding this is God's will, that what Jesus is accomplishing and doing is his will. But we also need to understand contextually that the cross solved this great mystery. The people who are looking forward to the Messiah knew that one day some, the Messiah is going to come. God is going to make all this better. And so the cross made what was once a mystery a mystery solved. He revealed it. And that's what somehow we get our language messed up, is that we, we, we think that the will of God is a mystery because we see the word mystery and will of God in the Scriptures, but we miss the context. Let me show you. It says in Colossians 1.26, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has been now manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what his riches of the glory and the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ephesians 1.9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. And even Saul's language, Saul, the apostle Paul, before he became Paul, the language we see here in the conversion is this revealing, this knowledge to him, this mystery that is now being solved, that Paul is being given knowledge about that he is now charged to proclaim. It says in Acts 22, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Does that make sense that the will of God is the cross, which was a mystery, which has now become revealed? Does that make sense? So now remember, Jesus said four times, I have come to do the will of my Father. He made a personal mission about what he is supposed to do. But four times he said, my followers must do the will of my Father. Well, that can't mean the cross. And these four verses are downright scary. This is actually where a lot of our theology and fear enters our faith surrounding the will of God. Because Jesus says four very scary things. Uh, let me uh, read them to you. Is Unless you do the will of God, you won't know if Jesus is real. Uh, that's kind of intimidating. This is John 7. It says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Unless you do the will of God, you won't, God won't hear your prayers. John 9.31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Unless you do the will of God, you won't have eternal life. 
Matthew 7, 21, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Unless you do the will of God, you won't be identified as God's family. This is Matthew 12 and Mark 3. It says, whoever does the will of my Father who's in heaven, he is my brother and sister and my mother. Now, these are troubling statements, especially if you're like, I need to do the will of God. If you are reducing the will of God down to what job do I take? What person do I marry? What city do I live into? And now you're looking at, if you don't do the will of God, you don't have eternal life? Those are high stakes. And this is exactly why so many people live with such fear and anxiety over God's will, because the stakes are high. And this is really troubling for us. And the problem is that Jesus never tells us what the will of God is before he says these things. Actually, he did. Before he made these four conditional scary statements, Jesus told us exactly what the will of the Father is. See, Jesus talks in parts. He doesn't always give you all the parts at the same time. So you look at these four really intimidating passages on the will of God, and you go ahead of time and see, what did he say before that? And he says this, For this is the will of my Father in heaven, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I love it when people say, I just wish Jesus would tell me what the will of the Father is. It's like he just did, like in the clearest terms you can imagine. This is the will of my Father, that you believe in the Son and have eternal life. And so what can we learn from this? Well, obviously, that the will of God is salvation. The will of God is salvation. The first is the will of God is, was the cross. The will of God is salvation. And so now when we know this, we know that Jesus says, the will of my Father is that they believe in me. And we revisit those four scary passages. We get, instead of a conditional statement that's really intimidating and scary, we get an assurance and a promise. Let me read you back those verses, but I'm going to replace what the will of God is, which is believing in Jesus. Anyone who believes in me will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Amen. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to those who believe in me. Makes sense. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who believes in me. Perfect. For whoever believes in me, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. Awesome. We've now just redeemed four terrifying verses where people are trying to figure out the details of their life and wondering, am I going to make the wrong move and go to hell? And say, actually, the will of God is actually that you know the Father. Sounds great. And so the will of God being salvation, we find that this concept, the connection between God's will and salvation is all over the Bible. But it comes in different terms and ways. And so this is what it actually means when we look at Ephesians chapter 1. It says, he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. He's talking about salvation. We see Paul, Paul's references. Remember, Five times when Paul writes to the churches, he starts every single letter the same exact way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's referencing his salvation. That he obeyed God's will in that he received and believed in Jesus. And so throughout the New Testament, we see instruction that we've all developed language for that means salvation. And you see the will of God in all the different places. Let me show you some examples Sorrow leading to repentance, which is leading to salvation. This is 2 Corinthians. It says, I now rejoice 
For you are made sorrowful according to the will of God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. God hears our prayers when we pray to be saved. This is uh, John 5.13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, God, I believe in you, would you save me? He hears us. Belonging to God in the exercise his, of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be kind would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures, James 1.18. That we become children of God, but as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but the will of God. That we've been made alive for God. For the gospel has this purpose, that they may live in the spirit according to the will of God, First Peter 4. And eternal life, this is 1 John 2. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. All of these examples are referencing salvation. They're not referencing where we live, what job we take, who we marry. And last, let me point out that it is God's will that you're healed. People wonder, if you want to pray the most powerless prayer in all of existence, is God, if it's your will, would you heal them? Stop it. Like, don't do that. (laughs) We know conclusively that it is God's will to heal. Now, we'll talk about why things that we want to have happen, why they don't happen next week. But we need to know that it is God's will that he heals. And we find all over the New Testament, all over the Gospels, that healing and salvation almost always go together. Like, healing is an accessory to salvation so many times. And when you see people get healed, sometimes if you listen to the, the language, we declare by the power of the cross. We, are, we are, are declaring what Jesus did by the work of the cross and the salvation to bring healing to someone. And this is Matthew 8, 2-3. Lord, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and says, I am willing, be cleansed. And so we have to know that a powerless prayer would be able to sow doubt into whether God wants to do something, whether it's salvation, whether it's breakthrough, uh, whether it's healing, that a powerful prayer according to the will of God is to say, this is your will, Father, and we declare this. And that's what I love about Jesus' prayer. I don't know if I shared this last week, but when Jesus' prayer for God's will to be done, it's actually a command. It's not, Jesus, would you, you know, Father, would you have your will be done? It's like, will be done. He commands it. He doesn't like plead, beg. And so we lose that in our translation. So when we pray the will of God, we actually need to know what it is, right? And then we need to declare it. We need to bring it forth into existence. We don't need to, like, wonder what it is. That's why I'm making you guys go through all these verses. Are you still okay with me? All right, awesome. So you might be asking, what is God's will for my life? Well, first and foremost is to be saved. What is God's will for other people's lives? To be saved. Pretty clear, isn't it? So is it God's will for every person to be saved? Yes. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, this is good and pleases our God, our Savior, who wills all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not willing anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. Now, the real studious Bible 
learner here would notice something is wrong with the verse I just gave you. It's a little bit different. Most likely, your verse in your Bible said God wants all people to be saved. And this is where you get people who say, well, God wants something, but his will is for something else. And we see this in these two verses where your Bible most likely says God wants all people to be saved. And this is where all that really funky theology kind of comes in and says, well, God doesn't, you know, his will is what's going to happen. And he wants something else, but he's going to make sure something else happens. And those two are out of sync, which makes zero sense to me. And, and the NIV does that. And I'm sorry I ruined the NIV Bible for so many of you guys last week. But there are two words that are used for will. Thalo and bulamai. And those two words are the same ones that Jesus prays, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Every place you see Jesus referencing God's will, you find those two Greek words. It's the same ones in First um, Timothy and Second Peter. So it's actually a correct translation. God wills all people to be saved. So if we're going to build a doctrine of God's will, we have to include that it is God's will for all people to be saved. And if you love that kind of... Uh, discussion about election and things. I have a whole bunch of more in the book that you guys can read and get bored with if you like. Um, I'm not going to dive into it too much here, but just know that that's there. But there are two verses about God's will that seem to uh, be a counter idea to this notion that God wants all people to be saved. It's John 5.21 says, as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he wills. Matthew 11.27 in Luke, the parallel passage in Luke 22, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So these two verses kind of seem to make mention that God's will actually identifies only a couple people. The problem is, in these two verses, they're both rebukes to Pharisees. And the Pharisees are trying to get, like, really upset with Jesus. about like, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, I don't listen to you. Like, I do whatever I want is basically what he's saying here. That's Eric's translation there for you. And so we have to know that in both cases, Jesus is pushing back. But also, people will point to John 6 and say, well, in John 6, Jesus says that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. And that's where we get this whole kind of troubling theology that will Unless God is drawing them, then I guess they're not going to be saved, which is a counter idea to the belief that God's will is to save everyone. You guys with me? So Jesus says that to the Pharisees and to the Jews. John chapter 6, while he's alive. The problem is, and, and remember, when Jesus was there, he was revealing himself to selective people, right? He would, like, retreat so that people would not make him king by force. So that's John chapter 6. John chapter 12 Jesus says, now is the time for the judgment of the world. The enemy is going to be driven out. And when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all men to myself. So anybody who comes to you and says, John 6, that Jesus is selectively picking people who he wants to save, you just need to tell them, we'll keep reading and get to chapter 12 and tell me what he says. And so if it's God's will that all people are saved, we obviously know that not all people are saved. And that was the keystone passage last week we looked at of how do we know that God's will doesn't always come to pass? Because this mainline thought is that God's will always comes to pass, but then we have Matthew 18, 14 that says, it is not the will of my Father in heaven that any of these little ones would perish. And so unless you're about to be a universalist and believe that God saves everyone, 
we have to believe that some people aren't saved. And when they aren't saved, they fall outside of God's will, which is, again, the other lie says it's impossible to be outside of God's will. Well, sure you can. That's right there. And so, but this brings up a good point. If God's will is for all to be saved, why aren't all people saved? And I know you guys are, are coming on my boat here, so this is great. But let's look at Jesus' prayer on the, before he goes to the cross. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but what you will. This is Mark 14, Matthew 26, and Luke 22. Does anybody notice something peculiar about what Jesus did and how he prayed? Jesus has a separate will from the Father. Not my will, but your will. That's interesting. That Jesus, fully man, full of God, had a will of man that had to come under submission to God's will. You guys follow me? So Jesus declares, not my will, but your will, revealing that you can have a separate will, God's will, and then my will. And to have God's will occur in my life, I actually have to yield my will to his will. And so when we ask why isn't God's will being done in someone's life, it's simply because they refuse to yield their will to his will. Anytime you want to see if you, if you don't think God's will is occurring in your life, you just need to simply ask, what am I blocking from happening? You need to examine what are the things that are inside me that are coming against what God wants to do. And so the reason that people are not saved, largely in part, is because of the will of people. Like, well, where is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. It's John 5.39. This is Jesus lamenting over the Pharisees and over Jerusalem. We like to pick on the Pharisees. I mean, you know, they're kind of an easy target, right? But we forget that these are God's people. God's original design and plan was actually to have them be the ones who, who saw the Messiah, who brought the kingdom. And so God's own people just laments over the Pharisees and those who were the most trained to see him missed him. And this is what Jesus says about the Pharisees. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. This is Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem. Matthew 23. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing and so this is a very important about the will of God is that the will of God can decree something. It can want something. But ultimately, it's about the will of people, whether or not they obey what God's will is for their lives. And so we see this submission of God's work in our life actually involving our own will to allow his will to be done, which brings us to the next things that we can know about God's will is what does it mean to have God's will fulfilled in the life of every believer? So we're saved. It's God's will that we're saved. Hopefully everyone in this room is saved. Amen. Now, what is the active role of God's, God's will in my life? And so this is the central question probably a lot of us wrestle with. God, what is your will for XYZ situation? 
and we stress out about making the right choice. Because so many of us, I'll raise my hand, have believed that the will of God is a single, unalterable path. There's one way, there's one answer, there's one direction. And so we stress out about the details of our life, and we beg God, what is your will in here? And I was really discouraged because my prayers went unanswered. I'd ask God, do you want me to go into ministry? Do you want me to go into business? Do you want me to live here? Do you want me to live there? Do you want me to marry this person? I don't have any other options, so we'll just go with that one. That's cool. And so if you're like me, those prayers never got answered. So why is it that so many believers never receive a clear answer when they pray, God, what is your will? The reason is because we are expecting a different response than what God gives us. I actually believe when we pray those prayers that God is trying to reveal to us his will. We just don't like the answer. And because we don't like the answer, we interpret it as silence. God, what is your will? And I believe he reveals it to us. But because we don't like that answer, we think that he's silent. So I now realize that the will of God does not tell you what to do. Where do I go? Who do I marry? Where do I live? The will of God tells you how to live. It doesn't tell me, buy a Prius. But it tells me how to live. Because we find all over the scriptures, I'll just pick one out of the sky, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do all of the glory of God. Well, that doesn't sound like one unalterable path. Because God can love you just as much being the janitor as the President of the United States. He expects you to apply wisdom and revelation. But he loves you. He is for you no matter what you do. But God's will is really about how you live. Whatever you do. Awesome, go for that. But how you live while doing that thing, that's where the will of God falls. And so what does that mean? Is It means that the will of God is that you live an obedient life to him. The will of God was the cross. The will of God is your salvation. The will of God is that you are obedient to him. But you might be asking, well, is it God's will that I live in Sacramento? Be obedient to him. Is it God's will that I take this job or that job? Be obedient to him. Is it God's will that I eat Taco Bell every single day? Yes. No. Uh, be obedient to him. If you know me, I love Taco Bell. Amen by myself. But we place, we place God's will into situations and places that does not belong. 